Hey everyone, and welcome to Between the Creations. My name is Lorian Hook, and each week on the podcast, I and my guest discuss various aspects of theology, Christianity, and the Bible. I'm so glad you've decided to join us. Let's get started. Thanks for joining me this week. It's a huge help when you like, rate, and subscribe to Between the Creations wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also follow the podcast on Instagram or Facebook for news about upcoming episodes. You can find out more about the podcast, submit topics you'd like me to cover on an episode, or even ask me to speak at your event at laurienhook.com. Well, welcome everyone to today's episode of Between the Creations. I, guys, I'm super excited to be here with Dr. Madison Pierce. She, uh, has graciously agreed to come on and do an episode with me. Let me tell you a little bit about Madison, and then we're going to get started. She is a big deal in the area of New Testament studies. She is a professor of, assistant professor of New Testament at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. She completed her PhD in 2017, and just this year, 2020, in the midst of all the craziness, published her thesis, Divine Discourse in the Epistle to the Hebrews with Cambridge University Press in their Society for New Testament Studies monograph series. And if you don't know anything about any of that, it's a really big deal to have your dissertation published. So um, she's also done a lot of other editing with publications. She uh, wrote uh, some and also was a co-editor for Muted Voices of the New Testament with TNT Clark that came out in 2017. She's super involved with ETS and IBR and SBL, and she serves as their program unit chair for the Hebrews section. So I know that was a lot of things. She's also married to Curtis and they have a daughter and she is just really involved with all of these different circles of New Testament studies. So welcome, Matt. Madison, thank you so much for being here. I'm really glad that you're here. Thanks, Lorian. It's wonderful to be here. I really appreciate it, and I'm excited to learn more about you and to chat today, so thanks. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, So I first came across your work, uh, like I said, uh, in Muted Voices of the New Testament, which was a few years ago. And I was doing my master's, and for I don't even remember how it happened, but I came across that text and the the stuff that's in there, and it was great. And then we have a mutual connection, uh, you know, Joey Dodson, who I knew Joey and the Dodsons when they lived in Houston, and then you knew him, I believe, at Wachita, right? Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. And Joey is such a, I mean, he connects everybody. I feel, I, we joke in my house that uh, everyone's like one degree of separation from Joey Dodson. So. <laughs> it's so true. It's so true. And like I told you offline before we started, Joey's going to be on an episode and it, it's, it's funny. I have no idea what we're going to talk about, but I know it's going to be great. <laughs> Absolutely. When I when I get to talk with him. So, um, but yeah, so kind of a weird connection. Like I said, I knew the Dotsons when they were in Houston and, and you knew them at, when he was at Wachita. And so, uh, but anyways, so your specialty is Hebrews. And so I would love for my listeners to kind of get a little bit of backstory into what first grabbed your attention with Hebrews. Um, and I have, of course, some selfish questions that I want to ask about it, but I would love to hear a little bit of your journey with the text um, as you came to kind of study it and, and jump into it. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm like most people in the world who probably had only heard Hebrews 11.1 1 for most of their you know, upbringing. <laughs> uh, certainly no sermons on Hebrews, maybe something on Hebrews 12, you know, the beginning or something like that. But I knew one verse from Hebrews and it was Hebrews 11.1. 1. 
But I ended up um, in a class on Hebrews and general epistles with Joey Dodson at Washtaw. And um, the very first day, I mean, my goodness, if Joey can't get you excited about something, then you're, there's no hope. Um, so he so was, true. Yeah. He was um, talking to us about Wisdom of Solomon. I mean, I remember we had like a chart with like Wisdom of Solomon 10 and Hebrews 1 and just looking at all the different connections there. And he was telling us about the way that Hebrews was drawing on scripture to portray the amazing truth of who Christ was. And at this point, I had I had been in a tradition or at least in like a church that really hadn't taught me to revere the Old Testament properly and certainly hadn't taught me um, something or hadn't really given me a framework for like a consistent God who was intentional in the way that he was working with his people. And that was something that had bothered me. Like, why would God do this with the so-called Old Testament people and do something what's you know looks completely different with the New Testament people? So it was a question in the back of my mind that I really didn't realize was so formative until I had an answer for it. And so Hebrews unlocked that for me in a, in a really new way. And I've been in love with it ever since. I think that was like 12 years ago at this point. And I, I knew immediately, like, this is where I'm going. So... Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, I love that so much. Um, and one of the things I actually wanted to talk to you about is, so I'm I'm an Old Testament person. I love I love my Hebrew way more than I love my Greek. I love I just I love ever since I was little I've loved the Old Testament. Um, and but for me, Hebrews out of the entire New Testament feels like the most Old Testament book to me. So I, in some ways, it's it's one of my favorites of the New Testament because it feels so Old Testament. So. I know you do a lot of work and a lot of what your, um, obviously your dissertation and your other stuff, uh, your other work is on, you know, the use of scripture in scripture. And Hebrews does that a lot. It, the author of Hebrews quotes multiple passages of the Old Testament. Um, so how do we make those connections? And you feel free to use whatever examples from Hebrews you want. I know obviously one through four have, they are a plenty, but um how do we read scripture when it's quoted in scripture talking about original context and how do we work when the authors seem to kind of maybe even reframe um, what the original author meant? I would love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, thanks. Um, I, I mean, it's, it's a super complex question, of, of course. And I would say that, you know, each of our New Testament authors probably has a particular flavor or lens, uh, you know, a way that they're approaching the text. Um, but obviously what they have in common is that probably all of them or, you know, almost all of them are um, Jewish people interacting with texts that they call scripture. And so these texts that are authoritative to them, and they're using methods that are available to them and to their readers, either formally or informally, you know, things that they'd kind of be familiar with, like, um, you know, techniques and things. And so when I talk, I, I give a pretty general overview to kind of use of scripture and scripture in one of my classes, you know, like in 20 minutes or whatever, and just talk about it in terms of looking at, you know, the extent to which we see something like continuity or discontinuity, like I, I kind of presented as a scalar kind of thing. Like, does this seem to promote that? Yeah, this is the way God's always done it. And look, he's still doing it exactly in that way. Or is it promoting something like, 
you know, God worked in this way, but he's, but now we, now we understand that in a really different way, or it's been enhanced or even changed. Um, but of course I want to use that language carefully. Um, Sure. And then, yeah, as you said, we're bringing in the context, like to what extent does this make perfect sense? If we read the context, you see a lot of um, overlap. We see him drawing on the surrounding passages or to what extent does it at least appear that the author is pulling the, you know, pulling the text out of its context. So I think I even have a slide that says something like, is this even the same passage? You know, like just have no idea, like, or is he actually pulling from that text or is he just happening to use the same words? Uh, Cause sometimes again, it seems like the author is pulling it out of context, but I, I tend to think that you just have to look a little bit harder in those instances. That makes complete sense. Yes. Um, and I get a lot of questions when, I, when I've taught, I'm teaching through Hebrews right now, actually, when I've taught other New Testament books, uh, a lot of questions from people in my classes or who've, who've listened to, to sermons or whatnot, who are like, I don't, even Jesus does this, right? When Jesus grabs the Old Testament, he's like, but I say this. And we're like, but wait a second, what does that mean? And I think that, that your point of, okay, let's, let's look a little harder. Let's, let's, you know, drill down a little deeper. Um, I think that's, that's really wise and something that we would do well to kind of consider further as we look at how the Bible uses itself sometimes and how the, the New Testament authors treated the Old Testament. So thank you for that. Um, now, specifically to Hebrews, which I know obviously is where a lot of your work is, I've, I can't remember if, it, if I read it or if I heard you on a podcast talking about how um, Hebrews is divided into three kind of big sections, I guess. Would you talk about that a little bit and talk about, because I love reading what you say and listening to what you've said about divine discourse, because I think it's really, really fascinating. So I would love to just kind of let you go with all of those fun things um, in whatever direction you want to go. I would love to just kind of let you do that. Okay. Well, hopefully I won't go too far. So feel free to rein me, <laughs> rein me in or get my attention if you want me to stop for a second or if you want to clarify something. But um, yeah, so I started working on, when I went to Durham, which is where I did my PhD um, in the UK, um, My the first topic that I kind of looked at was looking at the spirit in Hebrews, which is something that definitely needs some additional work. Though some people have been writing on it and I'm excited to see that kind of, you know, continue to take shape. Um, but as I was doing that, I got really intrigued by the quotation of the spirit by the spirit in Hebrews 3, 7, and really wanted to investigate why people thought that that quotation was so different than the other quotations where the father and the son were speaking in Hebrews. And so ultimately that kind of blew up into a master's thesis. And then as we were kind of reviewing that work, um, my supervisor, Francis Watson and I were sitting down and he was like, I think that your project can get bigger. I think that you can look at all of the divine speech in Hebrews. You can look at this kind of Trinitarian flavor to it or, you know, the way that that looks. And so it was really interesting to me is once I was looking at the speech of all three persons, um, I realized that it was first there were patterns like father, son, spirit, father, son, spirit. And um, even like um, my friend, uh, Matthew Malcolm, who, who kind of helped me to see some of those patterns as well. Um, after I saw that, I realized that if we look at different structural proposals that have been put forward for Hebrews, that one, which I already kind of found to be the most compelling, actually fit perfectly with these patterns where 
um, you have, you know, father, son, spirit, and then a big break in the discourse and then father, son, spirit again, and then a big break in the discourse. And then some, the pattern disappears a little bit, but I, I have some ideas about why that might be. But what's interesting in terms of, you know, why that structural proposal is so great is there are two passages in Hebrews. And these are, I mean, my goodness, if you are only going to read like 10 verses in Hebrews, like pick these, they are so good. And they're these like beautiful exhortations to the audience. So both of them have like three big hortatory um, subjunctives, you know, let us do this. Um, and they even have them, it's like an ABC, CBA pattern if you like put them by each other. So it's Hebrews 4, 11 to 16, and then Hebrews 10, uh, 19 to 25. And both of them just summarize the priestly ministry of Christ in what that affects for us so well. So I'll stop for a second, but that's that's kind of what, I, yeah. <laughs> yes, I love, so I don't get out very much these days because of the Rona and also because I'm not, I'm not in a program right now. And so the fact that I just got to hear someone say hortatory subjunctive, my heart just like got really excited. Um, but yes, and... I, I love, and again, I'm, I'm referencing both your writings and I've also kind of stalked a little bit getting ready for this and listen to the other podcasts that, that you've done, that you've been on. Um, but you mentioned, and I think you mentioned in one of the other ones too, and I would actually like to hear some of your thoughts on why do you think that, that, that the father, son, spirit, father, son, spirit breaks down kind of towards the end. What are, that you said, I have some thoughts on that, but I would, I would welcome to hearing those because it is interesting because you get to the end of Hebrews and it's like, okay, now we're changing gears and it's, okay, now the community is going to do some things, like the church is going to do some things, but the pattern breaks down. So I would love to hear your thoughts on that on that as well. Yeah, I mean, there's like a kind of a minimalist proposal that I can offer. And then there's like a more maximalist, like creative and maybe a little like, you know, you know, whatever. Um, but I'll, I'll go both. <laughs> so the yeah. the minimalist proposal, the sort of like, if nothing else, I mean, we see a lot of changes as we get into Hebrew or the third section of Hebrews. And this starts at Hebrews 10, 26, or even like, especially at Hebrews 11, 1. Um, obviously, if we, if you go with those like big sections being the breaks, then that would put it at like, you know, 10, 26, roughly. Um, but like the priestly ministry of Christ becomes much more muted at that point. There's a much bigger focus on how the community is going to live this out. And so, I mean, we have no more mentions of the spirit really. I mean, like some kind of um, like a, a couple in the, at the end of Hebrews 10. Um, and then Christ is, you know, much less prominent, still totally there, but less prominent. Um, and so, uh, you know, that is just to say, yeah, it's really different generally. So why wouldn't this other thing be different too? But uh, one of the things, and this is actually, so I'm giving a paper at ETS, um, you know, and I guess next week um, and, uh, or next week to our recording, I don't know when, when this episode will air, but um, I, there I'm, I'm kind of saying, okay, we have found, we biblical scholars have found some ways of gesturing towards something like the Trinity in the in biblical texts. We've said this kind of looks like what we see later. We see, you know, early Christian authors drawing on this and this and blah, blah, blah. So if we're talking about this in terms of like grammar and patterns and all of that, then, you know, we can see three persons 
and we see them, you know, referred to as God and Lord, et cetera, et cetera. So that points to kind of distinction among God, which is something that's distinctive between obviously like the Christian faith and the Jewish faith. Well, um, how do we find God as one in, in the New Testament? Are there ways that we can like point to this unity? And so what I sort of say is that where we have the author like clearly referring to Father, Son, Spirit um, in the first or the first two sections, in the third section, we have most of the references are super ambiguous. They're God or Lord. They're the one who said they're much more difficult to untangle. And so in this ETS paper, I show just how difficult they are. You know, I can show that it would be completely plausible for us to read this instance of Kurios or Lord as as Jesus or the Father. Like, I mean, I really, I study Hebrews and I'm not really willing to make like a, a super firm determination on that. And that happens a few times. And so I sort of feel like the author is pulling back and allowing the characterizations that he's established to make this point for him about the way that they speak together as one. And so, and that culminates in Hebrews 13, 5, where we have, um, God has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And the, the, for the first time, humans recontextualize scripture. And we say, um, you know, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. And so we are actually, I mean, my whole, all of my work is about God speaking in Hebrews, but the last people that speak in Hebrews are us. Um, so we, we get yeah. the last word, which I just think is so incredible. And it does point to like a, I don't know, like a shift in the, the way that the author is presenting that idea, I guess. I love that so much. That's so powerful that we, the people, the church, the Christian community, we begin to quote scripture back to yeah. God and we're like, oh, oh, okay, we can, we can get in on this too. Like we want to participate in the fun of this, so to speak. And, but I want to, I, I want to take that idea that the community is the last agent to speak in, in Hebrews. Um, and again, kind of borrowing on some stuff that I know you've talked about previously, I, I love the idea and I, I, I think you, I don't remember, maybe this was with Preston on his podcast. I can't remember. Um, but you, you've talked or written about Hebrews being um, the, a depiction of a journey, mm-hmm. a depiction of the, a Christian journey. And I know a lot of people, especially as I'm teaching through Hebrews right now in, in a large group Bible study format, um, a lot of people read some of the warning texts, the warning passages in Hebrews, and get kind of anxious. They get they get upset. They get concerned, maybe for themselves or for a member of their family or a member of their community that they know, who maybe they don't perceive to be, um, you know, following Jesus in those moments, or maybe has outright said, I, "I don't, I don't accept this. I don't believe this." And those warning passages in Hebrews are harsh uh, and and they're startling, especially when it's like. You're reading about you know the high priestly the high priest office of Jesus and he's doing all these things with his blood and it's like oh you're like okay I'm kind of in that vein and all of a sudden the author just is like hold up yeah. you're just as bad as the ancient Israelites were don't mess up don't 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 you know do you want to enter that rest do you you know and all these things mm-hmm. so what do you I, I would love to hear you talk more about this journey um, especially as it relates to the warning passages and how do we navigate that both just as Christians in our local churches but as scholars. Um, I would love to hear your thoughts uh, about those passages. 
Yeah. Um, so I, I um, with that, I think that first it draws on work, like going all the way back to like Ernst Kesemann and his like wandering people. And then like C.K. Barrett has an article on pilgrimage in Hebrews. Um, and I, I push back on the idea of it being both wandering or a pilgrimage, because um, those are obviously very specific kind of ideas about pro- progress and all of that. Um, but and talk about it in terms of journeying. And so they are in progress on, on this kind of um, trip to the heavenly mountain. And there isn't an extent, I'll just, this is kind of a caveat, like there is an extent to which it does seem that the author is portraying them making progress, but also kind of waiting at the foot of the mountain itself. Like they're already there, but at the same time, they're they're still needing to continue forward. So um, we do see some like eschatological tension there, but nevertheless. Um, but this is one of, the, <laughs> one of the things that ties these passages together. And I mean, I, you know, here I'm drawing on work of like Scott McKnight and like Dave Matthewson's done some good stuff on showing how the warning passages are connected. I mean, Scott's article on the warning passages is one of my absolute favorites. I mean, it's definitely something to commend. Um but they're showing the continuity there, and absolutely. And so, it's, those are especially uh, those are places where we see this um, idea of progress, in particular, where we have a lot of like erkama verbs, you know, like or you know, moving forward or you know, drawing near, entering, etc. Um, and we see the people of God more frequently brought into parallel with the Israelites themselves. Like there are ancestors, we're portrayed in the wilderness. We, you know, um, there's parallels with Mosaic law. Like we, we definitely have that like in Hebrews 2 and Hebrews 10 um, and kind of showing like the, how much more um, arguments and stuff. And so that's to say that, um, the if you think about a journey in terms of like where you're ending up, then you know as we all know, I, I mean, <laughs> you can't judge a journey based on its you know midway point, like the success of a journey. If we're like taking a road trip or whatever, and somebody says like, "How was your trip?" and I'm only halfway through, well, I'm probably not going to answer them <laughs> or can't answer definitively. Like, I have no idea. I've only made it, you know, if I'm driving back to Texas, I've only made it through those six hours of cornfields and, you know, the rest of Illinois. Um, so I really can't say. And, but what yeah. we do a lot of times with the warning passages in Hebrews is we check in like, you know, three or four hours into a 12 hour drive and say like, how's this journey going to end? And that's absolutely impossible. And so it's absolutely, it's, Definitely the case. Like, I don't want to minimize the difficulty of these passages and certainly the stark warning of these passages, but we need to make sure that we're asking the right questions. And we need to take seriously the fact that, like, that because these are evaluating us at the end of our journey and not, you know, in the middle, that means that any of us still has the capacity to stop the journey. But it also means that if I take a quick detour, or even a long detour, there's there's more room for me to get back on track later on. And so, again, there's yeah. still some difficult questions that this raises, but I think that it's freeing for us to know that um, it's not like, oh, um, you know, I got a little bit lost 
Um, so I'm, I'm completely done. No, as long as you get back, back on the right route. I don't know if I'm like totally killing this metaphor. But <laughs> no, it's, I, I'm, tra- I'm tracking with you. Okay. I'm, I'm on it. Good. I, uh, yeah, I, especially with, depending on which tradition people come from, uh, you know, which stream of Christianity they come from, this idea of the certainty of salvation and all those things. I've just, I've had a lot of conversations with people recently about, about those things from these, from the warning passages. Yeah. But I, I really do appreciate the imagery of a road trip and of, you know, sometimes you're going to get a flat tire. Sometimes you're going to take a wrong turn, but eventually did you get back on the right path? Where did we, did we end up going where we need to go? Um, and I, I, I think that's a great way of, of saying that and a great way of, of dealing appropriately with what are warnings and, and strong warnings at that, but also doing it in a way that, rem- that reminds us of the nature of God and of God's heart for God's people um, at the end of the day and all of those, those things. Um, if you, <laughs> this is a cheesy question and I'm just going to ask it anyways. If you, um, it, I know obviously most of your work in Hebrews is dealing with the, the, the divine discourse between father, son, and the quotation of scripture within it. But what's your most favorite, favorite, favorite thing about Hebrews? Like what just like, even after all, even after a thesis and a dissertation, all the things, all the work, all the classes, all the podcasts, Mm. what's still for you about Hebrews is like, that's, that's the thing. Oh man. Um, well, the thing that comes to mind quickly, and I, I wonder like if in an hour I'm going to go, nope. But the thing, but really the thing that like has continued to speak to me and the thing actually that, um, that I think is like a sign that, um, that God cared for me and like bringing me to this text and like, and rooting me in it for my, for my life's work. Um, even though I'm like two years into it, whatever. Um, is uh, is the the presentation of Christ as human um, in Hebrews and suffering alongside us and him being tested in every way that we are made human in every way. Um, I have a lot of of long term health issues and and have at various points had significant chronic pain um, and fatigue and all of that and have really struggled with like. I mean, like the, the opposite end of this, like, what have you, what do you find most difficult in scripture? Like my grace is sufficient for you. Like that, that verse is hard for me on the days where I'm like really hurting. Um, but Hebrews tells me that Christ suffers that with me. And so like having those verses on my heart and knowing them at those times has done so much for me. And I think that that's a distinctive, I, I don't think that it's not elsewhere in the New Testament, but I think the emphasis on that in Hebrews is really distinctive. And so I love that that contribution to the New Testament is there for sure. Absolutely. I literally, n- not yesterday, well, depending on when this airs, <laughs> but a f- just a few weeks ago, <laughs> we'll just, we'll create a buffer, I guess. A few weeks ago, I, I taught on Hebrews 4, 14 through 16, mm-hmm. and I, I just I looked at the people that I was teaching, and of course they're all spread out, and they all have masks on, and I can't read facial expressions. But and I'm also teaching to a camera at the same time, and yeah. it's and I just looked at them and I said I was like, Jesus understands, and I know that same that seems trite and that seems you know small maybe just in the words, but let that like just 
Like he understands your depression. He understands your anxiety. Mm -hmm. He understands physical pain. He understands emotion. And again, I know that that sounds in some ways elementary, but I, I think when we, and I working at, I'm on staff at a church and working with people and, and also doing academic stuff kind of here and there, I've, I find that it's really strange. In some ways, we talking about uh, Christ's full humanity and full divinity, the church loves to talk about the divinity sometimes more than the humanity. But I've also found myself, and I, I just put something on Instagram or maybe Twitter about this the other day, I, I've found myself having to remind people that Jesus is God a lot. And I did like a, a survey on Instagram and, and most, like it was like 87% of people who responded were like, yeah, same here. I'm having to remind people of this. And so it's very strange yeah. to me because I don't feel like we talk enough about the humanity. I don't feel like we talk enough about the suffering, the co-suffering, um, you know, talking about the crucified God in all, in all, of, the, all of that whole situation. I don't think we talk about enough about that, but at the same time, I'm like, but maybe are we not talking enough about how Jesus is God? Have you experienced any of that with your work? I maybe maybe it's I don't know I don't know what to do with it. Yeah, that's so interesting. I mean, it depends on my context. So, um, I mean, whenever I was engaging more with scholarship on Hebrews, I was certainly finding that like even in Hebrews, where I mean, we really do have a strong presentation of Jesus as God. I think. I mean, the even like the, through the way the quotations are attributed and all of that. I mean, most people, if they're going to go, eh, you know, low Christology, they're not going to like come for Hebrews, which is kind of freeing for me because I can just go like. Yeah, we're good here, but nevertheless, but there's still plenty of arguments about Hebrews and, um, and, you know, Christ becoming greater than the angels, becoming priest, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, there are like proof texts there that you can like go to pretty quickly. Um, but, you know, more frequently I have to remind my students that's the thing that they can't like, this is with my students. Like I can't assume, or they can't assume that everybody reads through like a Trinitarian Orthodox lens. I have to like remind them that we can't use the capital T, like T word Trinity without actually like doing the work, like that, that kind of thing. So I don't know. I mean, it, this probably is my like my setting that especially right now with the pandemic, like I'm mostly interacting with like very conservative evangelical seminarians. But um, yeah, so it's a, it's a little bit of a mixed bag, but the, um, yeah, the full, the, the holding both of those things together. Well, I think very few people do that subconsciously, like that they can just naturally hold all of that together because it takes incredible work to continue to think through how, how Jesus can be both God and man. Um, You really have to, to think about it a lot. So yeah, anyways. It, it's it's a little bit of mental gymnastics in some way. I had I just last night a friend uh, messaged me, and he said something about <laughs> this existential text or whatever. But he was like, I don't know that we consider enough the metaphysical implications of God and flesh completely. And it was like on and on and on. I was like, I agree with that, but I think we need to also simplify some of it for just contemporary vernacular and, and the church that, you know, the working in, in churches um, is different sometimes than working in the academy with some of this. Um, but 
just on that note, actually, I would like to I'd like to ask you. This isn't Hebrews specific, but it is biblical scholarship specific and just Christian uh, specific. As as a scholar, as as someone who, for the most part, most of your time is is in the academy and with with academics and stuff. Um, what are some things, or maybe just a thing, I don't know, that you wish more quote normal Christians who aren't in, in academics knew or would realize maybe about Hebrews, but maybe just about the Bible in general, um, because they are they can be very different worlds. But sometimes there are a few things that I'm like, if I could just get church members to get this, it would be really helpful in in teaching. So I would I would be interested in hearing your thoughts or just your feedback to that question. Oh man, that's a great question. Um, this is probably another thing where like I have a gut reaction, but then like in an hour I'm going to be like, ah, well, that was okay. But um, yeah, I think so. One of the things that is really important to me and that I really try to stress with my students is um, that these texts aren't created in a vacuum. I mean, this is something that I inherit. I mean, it's like on the first page of uh, my supervisor's big book on Paul um, in Paul and the Hermeneutics of Faith. Is where, you know, Paul did not write in a textual vacuum. Yeah, France, oh, I love Francis is great. <laughs> oh, good. Yeah. Um, it's so important for um, for people outside of biblical studies, especially to, to remember that because they're encountering this in their Bibles. They're seeing it in like a super Christian context. Um, and thinking about it more in terms of like uh, in a canonical way, which is so important, but they're not thinking about who the people are that wrote. And sure, like this kind of gets into like our focus and historical critical whatever uh, on this and that. But really, I mean, that's important for us at a literary level too. Like even if you're not engaging with like so-called critical questions, to think about the fact that when Jesus is saying, you know, um, the Lord said to my Lord, sit on my right hand, um, and kind of questioning like the application of this to date or to David and Solomon. He's he's not the first person to ever like raise a question about that text or like to think about it. Um, and so we just have to think about like all all of the things that are happening in their worlds and um, so I, I don't know, that's not a very clear answer, but I would just say that like just a, a broader understanding of our authors as human beings um, and people who had outside influences who weren't like blank slates when the spirit inspired them to write the New Testament. And it's not just about personality. It's about like their knowledge base and their interpretive questions and the interpretive questions of their readers and stuff. So I don't know if that if that makes sense, but that's where I'm at. No, absolutely, yeah. I I recently, I I think was his name Mark Knoll. I don't remember. I think the name is Knoll, but his his book. I, and again, I'm pretty sure that's his name. His book, um, reading Mark's Christology under Caesar, was mm. he? I don't. I think that I think it was Mark's book. I could be wrong, um, but he de- deals with this very thing specifically as as he doesn't try to necessarily place the person of Mark as, as a historical figure or whatever, but he deals with some of the, here's, here's what these authors were dealing with, you know, in their society, in their culture, with Rome, with whatever. Um, and here's, here's some of the messaging that comes out about that in Mark specifically was what this book was about. Um, and yeah, I find I find that when I when I talk with people about the text, it's obviously we all, we preach context, 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 right? But it's also 
it's also just remembering that it didn't happen in a vacuum and it didn't happen like what you said with a clean slate necessarily. These people had personalities, they had egos, they had issues, they had successes and all these things. Um, and it doesn't, and just for me, at least part of the response to that question is, is trying to just remind myself because I forget sometimes, but also people that I, that I work with and, and serve it's, you know, it, it, the Bible didn't come to us just like, it's not just arrived in this pristine condition and it's, you know, easy and, and everything fits together all the time and um, just kind of helping them realize sometimes it's messy and that's okay. Like that's why we have people like you who spend years and years on a book or others on a verse. Um, and it's, it's important to do that work, I think. Um, and we're not all going to be biblical scholars, but um, to at least be aware that it's, that it's there, I think is helpful. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, yeah, yeah. So what is what is coming up for you? I, I know you've just, it, it literally just came out not super long ago. You, you've published uh, your, your thesis and stuff uh, this year. So I know that I've heard some other things that you have coming out, but I would love to, to ask you about that. And uh, so that both I and also my listeners kind of know where, where can we be seeing your work in the future? Yeah. Um, so yeah, the monograph came out a few a few months ago, um, and I'm really, I mean, I'm just glad to have that out in the world because it feels like it was a super long process and stuff. Um, Absolutely. <laughs> and and have I have some articles and things that are here and there, um, you know, chapters. I think that the thing that I have on the horizon that I'm really excited about and like the project that I would love to plug for everybody is um, I did I had the privilege of writing the Hebrew section in a book that's coming out called the new Testament in color. And it's, I think the subtitle is something like a multi-ethnic commentary on scripture. And, um, and so it's people from all sorts of ethnic backgrounds and we're basically interpret, we're writing in a, I can't remember the, the like great word that, um, that Amy and Esau use, Amy Peeler and Esau Macaulay is something like sensitive interpretation, like just being mindful of who we are and so when I was inter- when I was reading Hebrews, I was thinking, you know, how do I interpret Hebrews differently because I am a white woman from Texas, and just being just a little bit more conscious about that. I mean, that's always how I read text or read Hebrews. I can't not read Hebrews as a white woman from Texas, but like kind of thinking through, like, do I read it? Do I read this passage this way because of that? Um, as even though like most people tend to emphasize this, I, I seem to emphasize this. Oh, actually, yeah, maybe that does have something to do with my upbringing or whatever. And so, um, but anyways, the project itself is like, I think it's like a thousand pages, but it's like, it's several just incredible scholars coming from a lot of different backgrounds. And so I think if I remember correctly, like maybe in early 2021, Lord willing, so be watching, awesome. be watching for that for sure. It'll be very exciting. Um, that's and awesome. that's present company's contribution completely excluded. I mean, everybody else on the docket is just incredible. So, um, yeah, don't, don't buy it because of my contribution. You can uh, buy it because of everyone else's, but, um, yeah. And then I've got several projects that are like way down the line. Like I'm working on a textbook on the later new Testament with Ruth Ann Reese so we're writing on from, let's see if I can get this right. I think it's Hebrews to Revelation. Um, awesome. Which which will be really fun. That's with Baker. Um, working on commentary on First Peter, um, one on Hebrews. 
and uh, and then someday um, have a couple of of books on Hebrews, one on humanity with a, a friend uh, Brian Dyer. And, uh, and some of the stuff that we were talking about earlier will definitely come out there. And then a book on, on Messiah language and Hebrews and all of some of those things are like, you know, pretty firm and relatively close. And some of them are a little bit farther out, but they're, they're all things right. that I'm currently working on somehow. So <laughs> just, hold, just holding all the, holding all those plates and just throwing them up in the air all at the same time. I, I mean, personally, I'm probably the most excited about the, the, the re- the the one that's coming out early 2021 the commentary on just all the things but then for me just selfishly the messiah language in hebrews i i think you referenced it on another podcast you run i was like oh man i'm i'm going to hold out for that one too because there's just there's so much and especially my old testament heart mm-hmm. loves loves all of the the stuff that i'm sure that will come out in that um in that piece of, of work and in the body that of work that you're putting out just continues to be really helpful. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm thankful for it as someone who kind of awkwardly straddles the, you know, academics in the church. Most, most it's like, I, I jokingly tell people, I'm like, my life is like ground beef where it's like 80, 20 or, you know, so, you know, 75, whatever. I'm really bad at math. And so I know 80, 20, those are round numbers. I can work with that. Um, where I'm like 80% in the church and then like, you know, over here, 20% in, in academics sometimes. And, um, you, you have that, that gift of being able to communicate for both of those oh. worlds, I think really well. So thank you for your work. Um, and just, especially on Hebrews, I, I've been blessed by it and have very, very, very much enjoyed it. Um, I was going to ask you one more thing, but then I forgot what it was. And so I'm just going to say that the spirit just took that and said, nope, we're not going to, we're not going to do that today. And that's fine. (laughs) Do you have anything else that you want to add or any, any closing comments about Hebrews or anything? I don't want to cut you off or anything like that. I feel like, oh, one more thing. Oh, no, by no means. Um, I mean, read Hebrews. Uh, don't let Hebrews 11, one be the only verse in Hebrews that, you know, there's so, so much good stuff there. And so thank you. I mean, Lauren, thank you so much for hosting me. This has been so much fun. I actually think save when I was on my podcast, I think you're my first female interviewer. And so I think if I'm forgetting somebody, I'm going to feel terrible, but this is a really, it was really fun to chat with you. And I think it, yeah, I felt it's nice to like, yeah, to be able to chat and stuff. So thank you. Yeah. It's good to chat with people, the mutual connection. And then we're both from Texas and we both kind of have, you know, there's, there's a little bit of similarities there. Um, So yeah, it's, I love talking with with scholars and uh, with people who are doing good work in their fields. And I want to give a chance to, you know, promote their work and say, Hey, this is someone that you should know. Um, So thank you, Madison, for your time. uh, And just for being willing to sit here and talk with Hebrews, talk about Hebrews with me. Um, And for those of you who are listening, I hope that you guys learned something. Be sure that you check out Madison's work. Uh, I will tag her, her Twitter. I'll put all her Twitter stuff in there and put a link to um, her stuff at Ted's there and all the stuff. When I, when this episode airs, it's all going to be in the bio of the show notes and even on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and all of the fun places. Um, But thank you all for listening. And uh, I will be back next week with another awesome guest to talk about fun theological topics. So thanks guys. 